Can we change the way we produce food to both meet the needs of humans whilst regenerating our soils and ecosystems? And can we do so in a way that improves the financial viability of farms? These questions are becoming increasingly urgent to answer, and we're here to investigate a promising technique called agroforestry in order to find out how it can help us with these challenges. We'll be interviewing farmers, scientists, and other experts to share with you their experiences, practical advice, and scientific research. Hi, and welcome to the Regenerative Agroforestry Podcast. I'm your host, Etienne. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Agromix, a network that brings together farmers, researchers, and policymakers to explore agroecological solutions in Europe. They are sharing their network with us so that we can bring interesting agroforestry projects on the podcast. My guest is today Carl Scherd, who produces pigs in France. He has received EU funding for his project, so we try and understand with him what kind of opportunity that means for farmers. He also shares some of the challenges he has encountered with deers, and we assess together the potential for increasing the proportion of perennials in pigs' diets. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Carl, and welcome to the podcast. Hello. Why don't we get started by a bit of a, of a story of how you started your farm and some context uh, on your farm? Okay. Well, um, before I came to France, I was a, a teacher in agricultural subjects in, in Scotland, south of Scotland. Um, I'd gone into teaching, which wasn't a first choice of career, really. I, I wanted to farm, but uh, the capital needs of that made it impossible in Britain. And in the 90s, there was a lot of publicity um, suggesting there were opportunities for farmers in France, uh, for young farmers. So we decided to have a go at it. And uh, we moved here in 1990. Um, and we rented a farm for seven years before buying the farm where we are now. And uh, what does the farm look like uh, a bit in terms of, you know, uh, climates and uh, main productions? The farm's situated in Maine-et-Loire, which has um, quite a soft temperate environment, climate, sorry. Um, it's a farm in a, what was an old slate mining area. So we're on a sort of sandy loam. Um, it's 45 hectares. We converted to organic in uh, 1997, so we've been organic for over 20 years. Um, the farm itself is, is very nice because the house and buildings are in the centre of the land, so it's, it's very well, very easy to organise and access all the, the various fields. Your main production, you, you raise uh, pigs, if I'm correct? Funnily enough, when we first came to France, we started with sheep. But my personal background is more within pigs. I just didn't, uh, was sceptical or worried about starting with pigs because, as you know, pigs have up and down cycles, which can be quite brutal, economically speaking. And I, I was worried coming to France with having to cope with a new language, a new administration. So I didn't at first go in. But then... Um, as sheep farming took a turn for the worse, we decided that uh, I should return to pigs. And um, it coincided, if you like, with the outbreak of the mad cow disease, uh, which then led to the um, development of organic farming. And that suited my sort of philosophy and approach to keeping animals. 
So we, um, we, we, we decided to try to go into organic pigs, which meant keeping the pigs outside. And there was a huge demand. Um, so it helped us to get going in that way because the, the pigs were easy to sell. Currently today, um, we are running um, 40, 40 to 50 organic blue pigs. Our pigs aren't actually blue. They're actually a cross between a saddleback um, and a land race, which gives a pig with um, slate-like coloured tashes on it, patches on it, which give it the blue name. Um, these are kept outdoors in four bands of 10 to 12, which produce every six weeks. We consecrate about 15 hectares, which is about a third of our surface to the pigs for um, their, their breeding and their rearing. And the remainder of the land is in um, a mixture of perennial and annual crops, cereal crops. We, we, we've been, we were, became conscious of the fact that uh, the, the, the organic standards were coming somewhat diluted um, and the more and more people were doing organic pigs or called in, in organic pigs in buildings. And we wanted to um, try and, and go more towards a, a pig of quality and a pig with um, higher welfare standards which to us meant rearing them as long as possible outdoors. There was another aspect is that um, feed costs are the primary cost of pig production. And we wanted to try and do something about reducing that where possible. Um, so there was an economic interest to try and cut feed costs, but also to enhance the quality of the meat by introducing forage crops um, and that's something that, that agroforestry actually lent itself to, rather, which we can explain in due course. Well, since you mentioned agroforestry, um, you know, how did you first come across uh, the term and, and what's kind of the story that led you to uh, implementing it on your farm? It comes back to, to some extent, as to my beliefs in what being a farmer is. And I believe that farming is about stewardship of the landscape in other words it's not about in france um there's a term exploitant agricole which if you translate it literally sounds like you're exploiting the land and i don't believe that's what farming's about so i have this notion that one should work with the land and 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 landscape and integrate it into your activity so for me, that included trees. And we've always, we've, before we actually opted into an agroforestry program, we were already planting um, apple trees. Um, we planted um, around 60 apple trees in two different orchards. And we, we started to experiment with pigs in these orchards. Um, and I wouldn't say exactly at the same moment, but around that sort of time, that there became, um, I think, more concern globally for the environment with climate change, and um, regionally there, 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 there were initiatives to encourage agroforestry as a means to fight against climate change and enhance soil fertility. So. Um, we this seemed a natural path for us to follow in addition to what we'd already done 
And and how did the you know project start? Uh, maybe if we take it from the beginning, uh, where did you turn to get some kind of technical support or information to? The, the technical support in our region comes from an association called Silver Agra, and um, there we had access to um, a technic technician or an advisor and uh, Samuel Legray and Samuel came and we discussed um, how we could integrate agroforestry into our farming system. By that I mean how, how, how to decide the spacings of, and the layout of the trees, the species and so forth. And Samuel put together a project for us in consultation with me Um, which was then presented to the to 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 the region is it, it's it's partly in short it's funded partly by Europe and partly by the region in our case the region pays de Loire um, and otherwise Europe um, it's 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 if I translate it it's the European funds for rural development feeder if you is the abbreviation for it. And they um, they um, sub sub offer a subsidy of 60% of the total cost, and the region pays the Loire another 20%. And uh, obviously, you you have to sign up. Uh, they have to approve the project, which is where the local association comes in uh, with their expertise. Well, it's it's interesting to explore this because uh, at least in Europe, there's a lot of uh, funds now for uh, hedges and different agroforestry systems. But of course, uh, every time you take uh, money, you have to accept certain constraints with it. And I think it might be interesting to understand um, how did this source of funding affect the design of the agroforestry system uh, and how it shaped it in a sense. The, 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 the things that I remember that you have to respect are are the, the distances, um, the density of trees um, and um, the choice of species. Um, things actually have changed because um, the, 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 basically the choice of species is done according to the soil type. And actually on our farm we have... We have very different soil types so which meant that the choice of varieties was was um was for trees corresponding for example to dry areas uh semi-humid very humid areas um the one thing that i i do slightly regret is perhaps um there wasn't enough discussion as to the specific integration of given species to the to the farm system in other words in my case pig production um, and there were also some constraints which i believe have changed as to the the um, density the inclusion sorry of fruit trees um, at the time you were you weren't actually allowed to incorporate fruit trees within the uh, within the tree mix now i believe you can have 20 percent um and that seems seems a little bit um disappointing really because 
our aim was to, one of the aims, I mean, there are various benefits to having the trees, but one of them was to provide an alternative food source um, um, and a food source that could have a beneficial effect on the quality of, of the meat. At the time, it didn't feel like a huge constraint in terms of like the spacings kind of corresponded to what seemed interesting anyway. To have it approved, I mean, they, you, you, you have to rely on the professionalism and expertise of the association who, who were presumably deemed acceptable by Europe. Um, they were accredited, I presume, by Europe and the, the Pays de the Loire as being capable of, of producing the, the plans. So that was your credibility working with them. Um, so there, yes, it was working with 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 the association. They were the ones who who knew the the necessary constraints more than more than me. My, my from a farming point of view, it was more um, working towards finding out or the the appropriate and planning the appropriate distance of the trees to fit in with your cultural practices and grazing practices in our in our case we 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 spaced our tree rows they were planted in lines north to south at 26 meter intervals and the idea of that is that between each on either side of the tree there is a meter space obviously for root to allow for root development And that leaves you a 24-meter space on which to cultivate, which corresponds to to most modern-day implements of six meters width. So, and that represents four passages. If you think of our farm as as four quarters, square quarters, which is roughly um, the northern part, which represents um, two large fields, of um, one parcel is 11 and a half hectares and the other is six and a half hectares. They've, that's all in agroforestry. Um, the, um, for the pigs, it was surprisingly easy to adapt. Um, my pigs obviously are born outside. They are familiar with electric fences. And by the time they come into the, um, the forage parts, of the agroforestry, in other words, between the in the alleys, between the trees, we found that they respond and respect very well a very simple ribbon type uh, electric fencing system, as opposed to a wire. In other words, it's a ribbon which is very visible, one strand along the side of the rows, and uh, they respect it. In other words, there's no problems uh, we've encountered with pigs trying to root out trees or root round them they're, they're protected and we operate um, um, a system of a bit similar to, to 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 how cattle farmers work with a with an electric wire in front and one behind so we put the pigs on a on a given section of an alley um, which will depend to the number of pigs um, and then um, they graze on that particular area for a given time till I till I consider that they've they've eaten it down. 
and then I close it off and move them on to a to 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 another paddock in front of that. So they basically move systematically up an alley, and then once they've reached the top, um, we can shut that alley off and leave it to recovery, or or um, they start again from the bottom. Um, there's there's it's it's a flexible pattern, and certain alleys we shut off with a view to make to, to making um, haylage in plastic bales, which then the pigs get the benefit of that during the winter months. The the one thing I found very good, certainly bearing in mind we're an organic farm, is that you can. Um, you can manage much more imaginative rotational systems, you know, be it be it grazing or um, growing cereal crops or other, because the nature of the alleys. Um, if you imagine a, one of the fields, the eleven hectare field has effectively ten alleys in it. So whereas before, um, either you monocultured or you split it by more or less by approximately but now i can define each alley give it a number for example and uh, i can have i can have several different crops and therefore a much richer rotation within the same field um so it's i i find it very good for that of course uh if i understand you know the trees are still quite small because um this was all planted pretty recently uh, what year, can you remind me what year uh, you put these systems into place? Yeah, we we actually planted at the beginning of 2017. The project was started in 2016, but obviously there are certain times of the year when you don't plant, sometimes you do. And by memory, we planted at, at about the same epoch then as we are now. And you, you mentioned you were a bit disappointed uh, that the, the trees weren't more integrated to your main enterprise, which is uh, pigs. Uh, but at the time, like, uh, or even now, what kind of expectations would you have of, of including trees? You know, you've, you've said that the motive was uh, at the beginning, you know, environmental and, and, and kind of more land management based. But in terms of even advantages for the animals, um, is there is pig is a uh, shade for example uh, a key issue for pigs in the summer or on the contrary you know is it more like protection uh, in the winter can you give us a bit more of, a, of an idea from your, your farmer perspective there, there's multiple advantages for the livestock certainly shade i mean we, you know i I, th I think we all we all know the original wild boar wild pigs uh, are more forest like creatures they live in in the woods so um yeah, you're trying to 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 reach out to that sort, of providing that sort of environment. Um, they're they're generally um, pale skin, so they do burn pigs in sunlight. So yeah, shade's very important. Well, the the other thing that comes to mind uh, might be feed as well. Um, is there any kind of substantial feed that you could expect from a mature agroforestry system? Um, or would that just be kind of a little sprinkle on top? Um, I think that's diff it's difficult to quantify the exact feed benefits because there are some, obviously you've got, if you like, you've got nuts and fruit, um, like apples, acorns, chestnuts, uh, which are sort of visible, if you like. 
But then as the trees develop, um, you're drawing a, a, a richer insect and grub um, population. And, and it, it's very difficult to quantify, but I did read a study that, that, cons that, that claimed that um, a pig will consume something like a half a kilo of earthworms. Um, so to attract earthworms, you obviously need a, a good organic matter status. And um, obviously mat maturing trees in an agroforestry project will bring that. Um, I, 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 I think probably, it, it, again, I, I personally think the future of farming and certainly where pigs are concerned may change. And I think we have to change our, perhaps our criteria for what represents productivity and, and so forth. And I think at the moment, the, the aim is just get your pigs off, out of the system as quick as possible and off the market. And I think um, agroforestry perhaps represents a chance to look at a, to go more towards a, perhaps a slow food approach to uh, pig production. Um, so perhaps a pig on that system will eat well, but eat a, a more varied diet um, and produce a, a richer, more nutrient-dense piece of meat. Um, that's the hope. That's, that's how I see it. Um, I, I don't... I think there are economies on your global feed bill that are possible. And that's one of the things we're studying in the, um, in the Agrimix project that I'm involved with um, to see you know, what percentage you can perhaps comfortably drop your concentrate feed costs by through agroforestry. That, that is interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, in the future... What kind of landscape do you visualize? Because would you let the system go more towards like a forest ecosystem? Uh, but then the issue with that is with less light, you would lose a lot of the grazing aspect. Or would you envision more of a kind of savanna type system with uh, some productive trees, but then still a lot of like, like still a, a dominant grass layer on, so that the, the uh, pigs can continue grazing? Yeah, I, I think um, I would I would go somewhere between the two. I, I um, a mixture actually of um, well, let's say dense coppices of dense plantation within an area, but at the same time with, if you like, the agroforestry system of more linear, because the because if you're going to rotate, perhaps or integrate other animals in, then um, it lends itself to that, that, that having trees, the trees more uniformly laid out, because once you get into a haphazard arrangement, it's very difficult to manage. So it's a compromise, I think. I mean, I think in an ideal world, you know, I, I, I think pigs are creatures of a forest, and if you had woodland, um, yes, that, that to run them in, yeah, that would be great. Um, whether that's sustainable uh, over a long period, because of course you can't um, you, you can't change. You have to either abandon the wood 
in other words, pigs in or pigs out. You can't you can't sow an alternative crop in there in between. And I imagine, um, you know, going back to this idea of feed, because I think a lot of people have these images of uh, pigs eating acorns or pig eating chestnuts. But uh, I assume like uh, to get the results you want and to do it in a, you know, economically viable way, you have to be pretty technical with uh, the different moments of feed. And, you know, when you're fattening pigs, it's a specific uh, diet at a certain moment of the year. So you can't really base your system on something as seasonal as that. It would just have to be a bit of a kind of add on a bit of diversity to their diets. Uh, but you would still have to have the bulk of your feed that's Uh, along the same lines as today, which is to say uh, grains or, you know, annual plants. Um... Yeah, yes, you do. Although although we are looking at, um, we're ex we, well, we already have done. We, we work with, um, we're using um, uh, fodder beet. Um, we're looking at Jerusalem artichokes. Um, and and, and, and we, we are, we do, do grow and have, been working with lucerne um or uh, as a as a crop because um because they, they they and we have got evidence that you can they do reduce the need for concentrates the reason why i asked this is because i recorded a interview a few weeks ago with uh, eric tonsmeyer who basically um his thesis was that a good way to make our Uh, diet more perennial uh, was to start making livestock's diets more perennial before, you know, changing people's diets, saying, mm -hmm. you know, it's easier to give chestnuts to pigs than having uh, all French people eat chestnut uh, flour <laughs> based bread. But, yeah. you know, when we look into how it actually functions, that's that's why I'm asking, you know, how realistic do you see that mm -hmm. um, Uh, in terms of how does that intersect with your uh, production cycles? And I imagine like logistically, it would be quite complex. Um, yeah, to have like a totally perennial base for uh, for pigs diets. Yeah, I think I think it's possible. I think it comes down to scale. Um, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, we 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 have a couple of apple orchards, which we uh, which obviously can be included in the agroforestry. It's not that. It's uh, it wasn't subsidized. That was a personal choice to plant those, and um, yeah, we've run pigs directly under the apple apple orchards, um, and that's a that's a traditional way of doing things. Um, but you know, you you it's obviously there's a limited window there in the season, and it comes down to volume. Um, which raises the question of it, it, it's one, that's one of the things that that has struck me as far as the agroforestry and actually the this farm and the question and when I mentioned earlier about about that during the planning of the project um, we didn't have we didn't sort of talk about specifically about we didn't relate the pigs to the tree planting. It was just right. Agroforestry, the land, the trees. And then we, we went our own way as far as integrating the pigs into it. But I, I, I do think that it would be interesting to look at a whole farm picture, for example. And, and perhaps if you, if I was doing it all over again, say, right, okay, 
here's the basis. I, I'm, I, I'm planning a, a 50 sow unit fattening through to slaughter. And I've got this agricultural project, uh, sorry, agroforestry project. Um, and look at it and maybe say, well, hang on a minute. It might be better to have a, have a, a more multi-species approach to it to get the most out of that project and the farm. To, by that I mean maybe you know I haven't got the the sums in front of me, but imagine you said, well, let's okay, let's let's not do fifty sows, let's do twenty sows and uh, fifteen fifteen cows, or 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 um, look at rearing chickens within the trees. You know, combinations of to try and have. To try and arrive, obviously, obviously, one has to be keep your eye on the ball and uh, and, and produce a living. And there's the question of of of, of um, in my case, being a one man band, you know, being able to cope with it all. But I I, I think I, I think that mixity or mix mixing livestock would be would be a way forward. Going back a bit more to the the practical uh, daily level. Um... Could you describe to us what it looks like to manage these trees that you've planted on the farm, uh, both in terms of what their uptake requires in terms of workload and how that might have affected the workflow through the year, but also understanding uh, maybe some of the challenges uh, that have risen in, in terms of uh, implementing these trees and taking care of them? Probably the biggest challenge we've had has been uh, through... Um, through pest damage, namely deer, despite the fact that the trees were were staked and protected with guards, uh, the deer are terribly persistent, and we, we we've had a lot of damage. Um, I, in the two the two areas, to, you know, I mentioned I have two fields principally, one of eleven hectares, one of six. Um, the six six hectare field is actually fenced with a sheep netting all the way around, and and noticeably the that was that was to some extent to uh, for the biosecurity because it's that field that we're doing the work with grazing the pigs between the rows of trees. So there's been noticeably less deer damage. Um, However, a given agroforestry project, it would it would add an enormous cost if it was deemed that you should fence the whole the whole area destined for planting. So anyway, we've had a, we've had problems with that, and we're now, which has led to um, uh, uh, tree deaths uh, and therefore replanting. Um, we've now actually moved on to putting a repulsive. Um, which is a non-chemical one. It's an approved one. It's a natural repulsive um, based on blood, I believe. Sounds gross, but... But um, we're trying that. Um, and sheep's wool, apparently, is a re repellent to deer. So that, that's been probably the most challenging and the most disappointing to go out and find damaged, if not destroyed, trees. And since you've had all these uh, issues with deers, have you had any echoes or, you know, have you seen anything that you could have done differently to prevent this damage, do you think? I, I, I think we did everything that was necessary. In other words, we protected the trees with guards and stakes. Um, I think what, 
what we should have done is perhaps um, used a repulsive from the beginning um, rather than, than wait to this stage. And moving on to bit management, um, one of the challenges that comes to my mind is if you're used to have a big field of uh, 11 hectares or whatever, and, and you all of a sudden put in trees in areas of uncultivated land, that's uh, that many more borders uh, that you have in your field with potential, you know, weeds coming out of them and, and some uh, mm -hmm. uh, technical issues around that. Uh, how have you been, you know, tackling that issue of, of managing the understory of those tree lines? Well, we tend to, I mean, it depends what you have growing in the alleys by the trees, because obviously if you've got a cereal crop, there becomes a given time of the year when you can't access because you've got the crop growing and you would be running in a standing crop. So, but um, usually for the weed control, I, I, I have, um, um, I think in, in a, we call it a broyer in French, don't we? But um, a, a topper, a weed topper, which goes to take the weeds down. So we cut them. Obviously we're organic, so we don't spray, obviously. So it's mechanical, um, Work, which is not that easy, obviously, because with trees at eight, even at eight meters apart, it's you can't you can't, obviously can't drive a straight line because you go over your trees. So it's not that easy. But at the same time, um, <laughs> it, it, the 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 weeds and the plants. I always remember one of my college professors describing weeds as plants whose virtues we haven't yet discovered. And I think, you know, that they provide a habitat for insects and bird life. So I'm, I'm not too obsessive about whacking the weeds down, to be honest. I don't, it's not been a big, a, man, a particular problem um, in my eyes. But have you had any issues, for example, with uh, brambles taking over or, you know, as you leave uh, pieces of land undisturbed for a, a while, you, you, you might have some undesirable species or not at all? It's funny, but it, within, the agro, uh, within the agroforestry, brambles have not been an issue. Um, I do have brambles in other places, but um, to be honest, uh, uh, the one thing I've noticed... Um, is that brambles do our nature's way of actually helping trees get established because the one thing brambles do is is they keep deer off um, because they, but obviously obviously you know you, you can't let a great infestation take place but but um, I'm not I haven't I haven't had an issue with that no in fact I, I've, I've I've a little experiment outside of the described agroforestry fields in the pig field where um, I have my breeding stock. And in certain of my parks, maternity parks, for example, I, I have brambles that have taken hold. Um, and at first I was going to try and rip them out. And then I had the idea to, to try and plant a few trees within those brambles even though the pigs are running free around, just to see if the trees would develop naturally and be left alone by the pigs. Because obviously, if, if I planted um, a tree within a, 
freestanding within a one of the pig fields, it would get rooted out. So um, we'll see what happens there. It's just a, a by the by project. But it is interesting to just at least know that for you, uh, you know, having some vegetation uh, developing close to your arable crops hasn't caused any major issues. And I think that's that's an interesting uh, takeaway for anyone listening. Yeah, and I also, but I also think one of the things we haven't talked about yet is is actually alternative management strategies for the space between the trees, and it's something that we are touching upon in the agromix uh, project. And it's been um, suggested that, for example, we could look at um, integrating aromatic plants. It's, as we say in English, horses for courses. Somebody um, on a given project might find that quite interesting to explore with it in between the trees, soft fruit, herbs, flowers. Yeah, in other words, there could be alternatives to, to just having grass between or weeds between the trees. It could be actually seen as a as a minor productive, well, minor or major productive, a complementary product productivity. As um, I say, we, we planted some mint, and as anyone that knows mint knows that it spreads voraciously, and, and that's worked quite well. It's, it's, um, it's moved its way up and may, may prove to be a good alternative to, um, to having to... Um, to, to, to mechanically cut weed. It kind of shows that some things that might be, uh, let's say, technically feasible or ecologically feasible or even uh, with a productive potential, like maybe densifying and having productive crops in the understory, that still requires, um, you know, you either to have the time to do it, which I doubt you have because you're already, you know, running like a full-time business or finding someone to collaborate with. And, and that kind of ties into... A conversation I was having in my last episode about, you know, the the possibility of, of layering enterprises on a one same piece of land and maybe creating opportunities for for younger farmers and and you finding maybe a, a young person in the region that wants to get started and doesn't have access to land and say, well, listen, I've got you know x amount of meters of uh, tree lines and uh, you're welcome to come and and grow a crop on that tree line and you know again. That sounds like a good idea. Then you know how feasible is it in terms of, um, of, of you know, on practical terms. Like it, it, you'd have to see that. But I do find it interesting. Like it seems like one of the limits of agroforestry at the moment is finding new uh, structures, social structures, and work structures uh, to enable like us to really reach the full potential of the land. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I always find it curious that on a farm. I'm I, on my farm of forty-five hectares. It, it's it's there's a there's an old bread oven which no longer functions, and it, but it's very clear from the size of that bread oven that it catered for a lot more than just the farmer. And we know in that 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 there were a lot more people involved one way and another. I mean, some of them on domestic chores within the house, looking after children, what have you. But but I do feel that when we talk about the future and we talk about um, food shortages and the population growing, that we only scratch at the surface, really, of what our farms are capable of producing. 
and and I'm I'm the, having the farm within alleys is. Is a, is 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 a way of diversifying, and as you say, it's a complicated issue. But you could imagine giving access to um, to somebody else to to produce vegetables or or within within the alleys and a great a much greater diversification and productivity on the farm. I, I feel could be possible. Um, mm. When I when I read about um, India and how the productivity that the some of the Indian uh, uh, farmers have off a one acre plot, um, you know it gives you room for thought. Obviously, obviously it's complicated in Europe because of because of um, labour charges and what have you. But um, perhaps in the future, an alternative to that um, and. You know, I remember discussing this with a, a farmer uh, with a bit of a similar system to what you've been describing, uh, arable, you know, arable crops a bit with um, some um, tree lines and quite widely spaced trees. Well, he was saying that he'd much prefer having hedges instead of these like wide spaced trees. You know, if you're going to have a line that he'd, he'd prefer to just have to manage a hedge because he felt that would be a bit cleaner in the landscape with, uh, you know, less uh, weeds around it. Would, would that something that would resonate with you as well? Or are you happy with those kind of widely spaced trees? Well, it's funny you should say that, but this morning we just finished planting 600 meters of hedge line in, in which, which in a, in a, in a, in a, um, another field, uh, which is a 12, 13 hectare field, which is now because of that, hedge planting split into three parcels of four hectares approximately and and just on on the same lines of what you think of what you've the point you've just made um i i i wanted to break that field up with an agroforestry idea but when i when i think about it i think a hedge line i, I don't know why why not as opposed, you know, I don't, I don't know why, where the the notion of having trees only at eight meter intervals came about. I mean, we know that eight meter spacing is for the eventual canopies when the trees there that they're not overcrowded. But there's all that space underneath, which, as as the 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 pre person you mentioned said. Um, planting shrubs and other things cuts out the need for weeding and provides a, a more interesting biodiversity again. So, so yeah, proof of the pudding is, yes, we've put in place hedges as opposed to agroforestry. And, of course, within a, within a hedge, I mean, a hedge can be managed. Um, one thinks of a hedge, a privet hedge, which is uniform square, but this... We're not talking about that. We're talking about hedges of diverse species, some of which can be left to develop into trees. So you, you can manage that hedge as, as you wish for the future. It can become a, an agroforestry hedge. And so, uh, you know, just maybe wrapping up this, uh, this management um, discussion, uh, you know, there's the planting, there's uh, establishing the trees. 
But then on a kind of yearly base, uh, do you do any pruning or any weeding or do you just let them be? Yeah, I, I actually, um, I, I do that with, I sometimes do that with um, the advisor from um, from the association, Sylvia Agri. He, he'll come and will prune the trees to encourage them to take the desirable shape, if you like. So that that's um, and and whilst doing that, that's the moment when you can identify any trees that need replacing, or 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 sometimes what we found, sadly, due to the deer damage, is the trees haven't actually been killed, but they've been damaged to the degree that they're better off being cut down to ground level, and and then letting them re reshoot. Um, which obviously is a bit frustrating um, in terms of the time scale of things because you know it's, it's taking them backwards rather than forwards. But um, it's better; it, it saves planting. You're not losing a tree. You know, as we as we take this uh, interview to an end, I did want to ask, uh, you know, very honestly. Uh, today, do you see agroforestry as something that uh, can pay for itself, that a farmer can do, uh, you know, out of just like uh, uh, just a purely farming concern? Or, or does it have to be something driven by an ideal and convictions? I think uh, it depends how you define paying. I mean, for me, it pays me every time I step outside into the environment, because as I stated earlier, for me, farming is 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 being integrated into your environment and it gives me enormous pleasure just stepping out into my fields and seeing all those trees um you know given my age of 60 plus uh, no it will not pay for, for me it's it's uh, but it but i hope it it will pay um for the future generation um and my children and their children um i don't that there's no short-term profit. I mean, obviously, eventually, there is a there is a timber value. There's there's now we people take branch prune trees and use the branches for heating. So yeah, there's something to be had out of it. And, and also, um, you know, as we've said, maybe there's a, a an opportunity for marketing produce that benefits from the fruit and nuts. Uh, from this as a food from the trees and enhances the uh, the flavor of the meat so yeah no but I, I honestly if I have one thing I think it's you do it out of conviction um, and as a gesture for the planet and the environment and future generations thank you for this really interesting conversation and uh, you know hopefully we can check in in a few years and hear about uh, how you overcame the the deer challenge and how your trees are doing. Yeah, very much so. Thank you for listening. As usual, you'll find the relevant links down below in the description. You can contact us through our website uh, or through our social media. We'd be very grateful if you considered supporting the podcast so that we can make this sustainable in the long run. Thank you. <laughs>